Hello again. It's another edition of the Apple Sox podcast. I'm Joel Norman, and I have to admit, I'm missing doing these every day. I sat down to record today to create this one, and I realized uh, instead of pumping out about six or five or six of these a week, instead we're now at a point where we're pretty much only doing one every few weeks, if that. And uh, that, that's just the reality of the off season. But uh, like you, if you're probably listening to this, you probably are missing the summer collegiate baseball season. But that said, things have been fun at the Major League Baseball level, but uh, we are happy to bring you uh, another episode of the podcast here today. As I mentioned uh, at the end of the season, I said these podcasts were kind of only going to come as news occurred, and we had a little bit of news on the Apple Sox alumni front uh, this past week heading into the Labor Day weekend. Two different Apple Sox players made their Major League debut, and both of them came from the 2016 version of the Apple Sox. Well, it all got started uh, last Tuesday on August 30th. Michael Tolia was called up by the Colorado Rockies and made his Major League debut. He was the 18th former Apple Sox player to appear in an MLB game, and it was the first time that an Apple Sox player had appeared in a Major League Baseball game since, or at least made their debut, I should say, since 2020. No Apple Sox players in 2021 would go on to appear in the majors, but that 2020 season was a big year as four different former Apple Sox players made their Major League debut that season. But going back to Tolia, he really had a great 2016 season, and I think if you watched him play or if you heard about what he did, I wasn't here for those season, that season that he was with the Apple Sox, but I, I think if you heard about what he did and you saw the numbers that he put up, it was just a matter of when, not if he was going to make it to the major league level. And a fantastic year for him in 2016. Tolia was heading into his freshman year at UCLA, and he hit 306 that summer with 22 extra base hits and would go on to win the West Coast League MVP. Now, prior to after that, I should say, the Apple Sox did not have another West Coast League MVP winner until this past season when Joey Chiro Oyama won a share of the WCL MVP. He would share that award, of course, with Jacob Sharp of Ridgefield, but uh, remarkable that going back to the season that Tolia had as he won that outright in 2016, pretty impressive that he was able to do that. He was, the at the time, the third Apple Sox player to win West Coast League MVP in just a remarkable campaign on a team that kind of struggled in 2016. It wasn't a year really to remember for Wenatchee, but obviously, as we've seen from the past week, a couple of memorable players from that season. At Tolia, as I mentioned, winning uh, West Coast League MVP also would go on to become a West Coast League All-Star. Now, the league hasn't held the All-Star game since 2019. It was last in Bend. It was set to be in Wenatchee, believe it or not, in 2020. And if you don't believe us, go ahead and go ahead over to the Apple Sox shop. They still have a few All-Star game caps available that were uh, the only merchandise that was created for what would have been the 2020 All-Star game. But Tolia made it in 2016, and he had seven home runs that summer. Now, it's a two-and-a-half-month season. You don't typically see players with a ton of home runs in that span. So seven is really impressive for a two-and-a-half-month season. And for Michael Tolia, he continued playing summer ball after 2016. He would spend 2017 and 2018 with the Katuit Kettlers in the Cape Cod League. And then he would end the 2018 season ranked as the number 15 prospect in the Cape by Baseball America and the number 9 position player prospect in the Cape by D1 Baseball. So high praise for him. You knew he was going to be a big name heading toward the draft. And 
big part of that was because of his work at school at UCLA. He's a switch hitter, which has made him even more impressive with the power that he's able to have as a switch hitter. At UCLA, he batted 307 with 36 home runs in 178 games over three seasons. He was All-Pac-12 team member for his final two years of college, and Toya also earned a spot on the All-Freshman, All-American freshman team, of course, in his first year in 2017. The Gig Harbor Washington native was selected 23rd overall the first round by the Colorado Rockies in the 2019 MLB First Year Player Draft. And Toya's trip to the majors was not really that delayed, all things considered, despite not playing in 2020 because of the COVID-19 pandemic. He spent three seasons in the minors, and he hit 61 home runs over that time with four different clubs, starting at low A ball in 2019 after being drafted. So Tolia made his debut on August 30th, and then just three days later, the Apple Songs had another member of the 2016 team make their Major League debut, and this one was Ryan Kreidler. The infielder became the 19th former Apple Sox player to appear in an MLB game, making his Major League debut at third base for the Detroit Tigers on Friday, September 2nd. And as I mentioned before, Kreidler joining Tolia, the second player of that 2016 team to appear in the majors. So now that, that is the most recent year in which Apple Sox alums have appeared in the majors. Usually it's going to take about three to four years in the minors to get to the majors, unless you're really, really a blue-chip prospect. And even then, it's harder now. Everyone's kind of been delayed a little bit by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, all things considered. But uh, it takes a little bit of time, and now we're kind of creeping closer. It's uh, just six years ago that these guys played for the Apple Sox, and now they're already in, into the majors. And I think the other thing to think about is these guys were incoming freshmen at UCLA, Kreidler and Tolia, when they played uh, for the Apple Sox. They, their first taste of college action was with the Apple Sox getting ready for that next step. And I always tell people that the start of your journey to the professional level so often begins in summer collegiate baseball. And that really was the case in a, uh, for these guys as they literally started it before heading off to college. But taking a look further at Kreidler, as I mentioned, also part of that 2016 team, he made his debut for the Tigers September 2nd, and he, in that summer with the Apple Sox, had a different experience than uh, Tolia did. He had a little bit of a trouble. He batted 183 in 44 games in WCL play, but Kreidler also hit pretty well in five non-league games, batting 294 in that span. Kreidler's most memorable performance of that 2016 season had to be his second-to-last game when he went 3-for-4 with a double and two runs scored on August 6th of 2016 against the Bellingham Bells. Now, Kreidler would also, similar to Tolia, play summer ball the next two years, but he took a little bit of a, a different journey as he would go on to play in the Northwoods League with the Mankato Moondogs in 2017 and then with the Warham Gatemen of the Cape Cod League in 2018. So just kind of climbing that ladder of the West Coast League to the Northwoods League to the Cape Cod League and really along the way also kind of traveling slowly but surely over to the East Coast but getting a little bit of action in all the time zones uh, along the way. And now Kreider would be selected by the Tigers in the fourth round of the 2019 MLB first year player draft after three impressive years at UCLA. He would combine to slash 261 batting average, 351 on base percentage, and a 409 slugging percentage with 51 extra base hits in 170 games for the Bruins over three years. He finished his collegiate career strong with an impressive junior year in 2019. I want to talk about an impressive hit streak. He started the summer, or beg your pardon, the spring season of his junior year in 2019, Kreidler did 
on a 16-game hitting streak and would go on to bat 300 with 18 doubles in 63 games. Now, Kreidler in his collegiate career hit 32 doubles. 18 of those came in his junior year, his final year with the Bruins. Kreidler did not pick up a hit in his Major League debut on Friday, but he would bounce back on Saturday night with a 2-for-3 performance with an RBI against the Kansas City Royals, and he got the start in all three games that he appeared in in his first weekend in the Major Leagues. I mentioned those two guys, Tolia and Kreidler, coming from the 2016 Apple Sox team, and you take a look back at the record book from that season. 2016 was a year to forget for the Apple Sox. They went 19-35, and just a, a struggle of a year, as especially in that second half when they went 9-18 and overall. Kind of a forgettable season, but producing some impressive players. And I think this is something I like to tell fans a lot. Uh, you, you may see years where the team is up. You may see others where the team is down. But you never really know which guys are going to be the ones to move on. It may surprise you, perhaps, uh, later on as, as they get closer to that major league level. There are a few other names from that 2016 Apple Sox team to kind of keep an eye on. Matt Frazier is in the Pittsburgh Pirates system. Casey Legomina is in the Minnesota Twins system. And Jeremy Yudens is in the Washington National system. All of them are at least at the high A level, including with Frazier being at double A Altoona in the Pirates organization. So those are three more guys from that year's team you might see in the majors uh, over the next couple of years. So always fun to keep an eye on what the Apple Sox alums are doing. And as we are into the final month now of the Major League Baseball regular season, you can kind of start to do this a little bit more as you're going to see more guys get slowly called up a little bit. Rosters don't exactly expand the same way they used to at the major league level, but you still see some guys get some opportunities, sometimes as a you know, pat on the back for a strong minor league baseball season. But uh, there's going to be a lot for us to recap because there's been a lot of work by Apple Sox alumni at the professional level, and it's going to be fun to take a look at that. Not, not just in the major leagues and minor leagues. I'm also thinking independent ball. There's a few names of former players in independent ball who we're going to want to talk about once uh, we get into the home stretch maybe the postseason at the major league level and a lot of guys seasons are finished we're going to take a look at how everyone really did so stay tuned for that down the road here uh, of course on the apple Sox podcast now before we wrap things up today on this edition i wanted to play an interview i had a, a couple almost a couple of weeks ago now about a week and a half back had a chance to wrap up the season with dan Koontz of the ncw life channel as we took a look back at the memorable 2022 season and kind of began previewing a little bit ahead into the offseason of this 2023 year, which will be here before we know it. Give a listen. Welcome back to Wake Up Wenatchee Valley. We're here at Paul Thomas Senior Stadium on the campus of Wenatchee Valley College to put a bow on the 2022 Apple Sox season. All things considered, when you're in the Final Four, as they were, pardon the basketball terminology, you've had a good year. Joel Norman, Storman Joel Norman, the broadcasting voice of the Wenatchee Wild uh, the Wenatchee Apple Sox is joining me. Well, he does hockey in the wintertime, so I, That's right. I get confused sometimes. And I'm not very bright. Joel, it's good to see you, my friend. Good to see you too, Dan. Uh, kind of a tale of two halves, really. They were, uh, what, 12 and 15 in the first half, 15 and 12 in the second half, which was good enough to win the second half division title. Uh, they made Kamloops look like a couple of little leaguers, then a tough one against Bellingham. But all in all, Mitch Darlington, I think, did a, did a great job. Oh, phenomenal job. First head coach in Apple Sox history to lead the team to the postseason in his first year. 
Ed Nags can't say that, Gary Lawall, a lot of others couldn't say that, a lot of phenomenal coaches before, but I think that's just a testament to two things. One, the expanded playoff field helped out a lot, even though the Apple Sox did win the second half outright, but I think also the effort that Mitch had. Mitch had so much pride in this team, which was something I think was missing the year before and from that head coaching standpoint, and it was such a pleasure to have someone you see every day at work who's just excited, realized you know, every day was a new opportunity, and was excited to build this product. He wasn't looking toward the fall semester for college. He was looking to see what he could do this summer. I, I was so proud to have him as the head coach of the team this season and proud of the effort that our players put out as well. One of the things I noticed in the games that we broadcast and the games that I came to, they seem to be having a good time. Yeah. And you can tell. You can tell when these players are just kind of slogging their way through a summer as opposed to those who are out playing ball and having a good time doing it. Oh, absolutely. I think no matter who the head coach is, June is always kind of the feeling out period. Guys who have never played with each other, guys who don't know each other for the most part, don't know the head coach, they're feeling things out a little bit. But when you really see whether a team comes together or not, it's right around the 4th of July. I think about that every year. The, our fireworks night, I always think of is this is the midpoint of the season. What needs to be done from this point on that hasn't been done so far? And I felt like our team just really came together in July. And I also credited part of that to some of the late additions we made down the stretch of the season. As you know, Dan, it's just common in summer collegiate baseball. You're going to lose guys, especially East Coast players, a little bit earlier earlier over the course of a season and we added some really quality players down the stretch and that was something I had to tell Mitch at one point he was saying you know it feels like we're a little short on guys I said Mitch I think this is the best our team has been set up into August and my four seasons that I've been here at least and that's I don't think a lot of teams are saying that right now I think that was exactly the case you know we were three runs away from going to the championship game how does one uh, speaking of Mitch Darlington fill those roster spots deep late in the season and into the playoffs, you know that player X, Y, and Z is going to have to go back to Arkansas, South Carolina, and wherever. You know that's coming down the pike. How do you, how do you cherry pick the low-hanging fruit and get these good ball players to come in and contribute for a couple of weeks at the end of the season? How does that work? Mitch is a relentless recruiter. I think that starts with just a ton of phone calls, going on Twitter, Instagram, and following these players and saying, hey, you know, you're someone who I've seen. And that's just doing your homework. Maybe these are guys in the offseason you looked at and you said, maybe I don't want to sign them to a full season contract, but let's revisit that guy. And I credit that to Mitch. That's something that's probably 24-7. He's probably thinking about that when his, his head hits the pillow, I imagine, most days. But he did such a great job of just thinking of previous connections, establishing new relationships, and just knocking up on the door and being uncomfortable. Uh, I think, you know, in the journalism industry, we talk about those, the man on the street instances, where you have to go out, you kind of have to put yourself out there. It's the same way for a coach when you're recruiting. You have to put yourself out there and just try to introduce yourself. Say, hey, I'm, you know, the head coach of the Apple Sox. I want you to play for us because of this. And Mitch wasn't afraid of that. He's a great recruiter, and I think it showed with the type of players we brought in this year. Does the fact that Mitch is only about 10 years older than the players on his roster help? a little bit you're not dealing the player doesn't have to deal with a 55 year old head coach who's set in his ways might be a bit crusty is that is that the fact that youth that Mitch's youth and enthusiasm plays a role in that I think you can be a, a great head coach at any age I think it, sometimes there might be aspects of being younger that are beneficial but I think at the end of the day what it comes down to is your personality open are you not set in your ways and Mitch is not set in his ways he has goals and you know things he wants to be accomplished and you know you cannot cross the line in certain things as every coach is but I think that's how the most successful coaches are in this league Brooke Knight isn't in his 20s, but Brooke Knight has done a great job every year with Corvallis about being open, having a strategy for his roster, and letting players shine and be themselves. I think the best coaches at this level do that. They are also coaches and great recruiters at the same time. We don't want to single out any particular players uh, on this year's Apple Sox season that just came to an end, but we're now going to single out some individual players on this Apple Sox 
team whose season just came to an end. Joey Chiro Oyama, co-MVP of the league. Why he wasn't MVP by himself, I don't know. I don't vote. But uh, you got to start with this guy. Oh, my god! Just phenomenal ball player. What, what a great season for him. Broke four different Apple Sox records, uh, played appearances, runs, walks, stolen bases, tied for the most games played in the regular season for the Apple Sox, tied for the most triples hit in a single season. The list just goes on and on with him. He did things every night. They felt like this was something I've never seen before. And I think fans got a great taste of that in the final, what ended up being final home game of the season, the playoff game against Kamloops, which was my favorite play of the season. Fly ball to deep right center. He tags up from second and scores. Who does that? Who does that kind of thing? It just it was so incredible to see a guy who was so intelligent but also had such a great love of the sport. And I know our fans fall in love with those types of players. You love to see a guy who can hit a ball over the fence. You love a guy who can hit close to 400. But it's more fun when the guy does those things with his brain and he does it with his abilities and just you know thinking ahead, thinking ahead of everyone else on the field. And he flusters the opposing team. He gets on first base. He takes a big lead. The pitcher's got to worry about him. The pitcher's got to worry about him. Pitcher can't throw strikes. Yeah. Then he steals. <laughs> then he walks. And then there's a base hit and two runs score. And it's like... He just, he just made it happen. Yeah, I believe you talked with this about it with him a few months ago, or back in July. Uh, Joe Ichiro didn't initially have a green light to start the season, or at least he didn't know he had a green light. About a week and a half or so in, I think it was right when we were in the middle of that really bad stretch where we lost six straight to Bellingham. Right in the middle of that stretch, uh, Mitch Darlington told him, Joe, you know, you've got a green light to go whenever you want. Don't wait for me. If you see a ball that you think you can take off on, go. And I think that was a turning point in the season. Those six games didn't go the way we wanted, but from that point on, the Apple Sox became a much better team on the base paths. And this is just my experience, and I think the statistics back it up, too. The teams who play small ball the best and the teams who pitch best usually win this league. The Corvallis Knights have won six years in a row. They bunt, they steal bases, and they have the best DRA in the league this year. It comes down to those three simple things. Easier said than done, but I think the Apple Sox took a gigantic step forward in that regard. They were just an unstoppable team on the base paths. What's next for uh, Coach Darlington and uh, Jose and, and Allie and the whole crew? The season's over. Again, all things considered, a very good year. What is the plan moving forward as far as Mitch bringing in, retaining some players, bringing in some new players? Talk about that offseason uh, process for the Apple Sox. How does that work? It's, it's a process. It takes time. And the great thing is we've got nine months to sort that out, too. Mitch has already kind of begun chatting with some coaches, whether that's just texting ones he already knew, uh, trying to make connections with guys he didn't know already. But for right now, a lot of what he's been doing has been checking in with the, uh, the coaches of players who were here this past season. Joey Chiroyama, for example, he's transferring to UC Irvine. Mitch has already begun speaking with their head coach to see, you know, how was Joe's experience? What did he tell you? Could we get, maybe get some other guys for this season? Stuff like that. And that's, what's, that's what it's all about, is you build that one player, you make sure he has an unforgettable summer, both on the field, off it with, you know, enjoying his time with his host parents, with everyone in the dugout, and you sell that experience to the college. That guy goes back and says, Wadachi is a great place to play baseball. And right now, I think Mitch is trying to make sure everyone's feeling that way so you can bring in more talent or even bring some of those guys back, potentially. The best recruiters, and we've talked about this before, the best recruiters are the players themselves. Yeah. How was your summer? Went up to Winnetachi, Washington, played baseball for the Applesauces. I had a blast. <laughs> it was so great. That, and, that, and they're yeah. serious. Oh, absolutely. You know, they come back and say, I had a great summer. And that, that gets into the grapevine, gets into the clubhouse, gets into the, into the dugout, and before you know it, Mitch doesn't have to work so hard yeah, to recruit I, the players. I think that's a huge part of it. I think Grant Sherrod is a great example of a guy who was like that. I think he came in, he was trying to figure some things out with his career. He'd kind of played partially this past spring at South Carolina Upstate, and he kind of knew coming into the summer, I've got some work I need to get done. And He had a frustrating start, but 
gosh, he was nearly a 500 hitter over his final month or so at the plate. He just he had a 10-game hitting streak at one point. And I remember the summer came to an end. He got that really nice moment where he got pulled from the game in the ninth. So the crowd gave him an ovation, which was just a really classy move on Mitch's part. But then it just I remember talking to him after he said, I don't want to leave. I hate that I have to go back to school right now. And that's what you want. You want to have guys who go, I hate that I've got to go, but I'm so glad that I came here. That's what it's all about. That's where we, I feel like we know that we're doing the right job as well. And I found more often than not, far more often than not, this summer's roster felt that way. I'm not going to see you for a while. You're going to head back east. You're going to be calling some hockey in the, in the Midwest. So, Joel, while I have you here, uh, as you can tell by his shirt, he's a pirate, Pittsburgh. And you can tell by my shirt, I'm a Yankee, New York. Another banner year for your pirates. They're just terrible. Uh, well, not, not working so well, unfortunately. Working. But my Yankees have been struggling, too. Real quickly, let's talk about baseball, uh, baseball before I cut you loose. Mariners are probably going to make the playoffs. We yes. don't know yet. Uh, I'm thinking, I hate to say it, I think the World Series is probably going to rematch of last year's. I think it's going to be the Braves and the Astros again. I hate to say it. That's what I think is going to happen. Your thoughts? It's hard to repeat for the Braves to get back there. They've also got some more pitchers this year than they had even last year. Uh, you've got a healthy Ronald Acuna Jr., which is certainly dangerous. For the Astros, it helped getting Justin Verlander back for sure. He should win the Cy Young this year, I would argue. But I, I wouldn't count the Yankees out yet. It all depends, I think, if they have home field advantage against Houston. It's hard to win at Yankee Stadium. But if Houston's playing at home, I probably would. I imagine those teams are going to match up. I think the Dodgers are going to come out of the National League this year. It's hard to pick against them. I think it'll be them and the Braves, hopefully, again, in the NLCS. Because the last couple of years have been fantastic when those teams have matched up. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with the Dodgers-Astros World Series. Well, that'll make Grant happy. Yeah. <laughs> Rematch of, what, 2017 yep. as well. I think the Dodgers will win this time, though. It's kind of funny you bring that up because they have expanded playoffs in Major League Baseball this year. More teams making the playoffs, just like the West Coast League did. But this is an important fact. I want to leave you with this. Even without the expanded playoff format in the WCL this year, the Apple Sox still would have made the playoffs. That's right. They didn't. They didn't. They weren't babied in. No. Like, oh, we need four teams, so uh, you, you get to play. No. They earned their way in. They did. And yeah. you look back, even a couple of years ago, 2019, when the Apple Sox made the postseason, they didn't outright win the second half. That year they did because they had the next best overall record. Because Victoria, who won the first half won the second half. I know it's so confusing to explain out loud, but this year the Apple Sox outright won the second half. And that's a credit to how Mitch Darlington was able to just turn the team around during this stretch and really get them playing the type of baseball I think we all knew they were capable. Well, all good things must come to an end. Uh, we're staring Labor Day right in the face. Joel, have safe travels back east. Thank you. And uh, we're looking forward to the 2023 Apple Sox season. Uh, you know where to find me if you want to talk baseball. That's right. I'm right here because I work with a bunch of people who, quite frankly, don't talk baseball. That's unfortunate so because everyone to, should talk baseball. Yeah, I have to dip into your well to get my, <laughs> get my Jones. That was myself chatting a little bit with Dan Koontz of the NCW Live channel just on uh, Wake Up Wenatchee Valley a couple weeks back at the mid-stretch of August. Just kind of taking a look back at how the 2022 season went and, as I mentioned, what's coming up in 2023. If you're wondering, the recruiting is already underway. We are obviously not going to be digging into those names of the new players until the new year, probably about March or so. But I can tell you already, uh, head coach Mitch Darlington is fired up about the group that he's starting to assemble. I'm excited to learn even more about them. Right now, you just kind of we kind of hear the names from Coach Mitch, and then we get to hear a little bit about his excitement about them. But uh, I'll tell you what, we've already flipped the page to 2023, and we're excited for what is to come. And Obviously, there's a lot of time to prepare for a new year, and we hope that you'll be a big part of it, too. If you had season tickets in 2022 this past summer and want to be a part of that 2023 season, make sure to email Allie at AppleSox.com. Allie, of course, is spelled A-L-L-I-E at AppleSox.com. 
or you can give us a call 509-665-6900 to renew your season tickets uh, for 2023. Apple Sox were just one win away from potentially getting to that West Coast League Championship game, and now the step in 2023 is getting a little bit further and perhaps trying to capture a West Coast League Championship. It's going to be a tall task, of course, with Corvallis winning again this past year, but uh, it's been so fun to see the excitement that Mitch already has for 2023. I'm really excited about it. I, I, obviously, we move into uh, the off season right now, but I'm already excited for when the Apple Sox will take the field again in June of 2023. If you're wondering at all, I get this question every once in a while, if you're wondering a little bit when the schedule is going to come out for the 2023 season, stay tuned for that in probably the first or second week of November. Uh, the owners will have some meetings in a couple of weeks here to kind of start doing it. They're already working on the schedule right now, making sure they get uh, a format that works for everyone. Any news on the West Coast League changing, any changes, if there are to be any, I don't know if there will or not, but if there is, that's something we'll obviously talk about on this podcast and whatever else you'd like. Like I've mentioned before, we've we've got a lot of time to fill this off season. I'll make as many podcasts as the listeners want, but it's all a matter of you letting me know if you'd like those or not. If you have something that you want us to talk about on the Apple Sox podcast, get, shoot me an email. My email is stormingnorman, S-T-O-R-M-I-N-G, Norman, at applesox.com, or send me a, a message on Twitter as well. You can follow me on there. It's stormingjnorman6. So I'd love to make some more of the podcast, but I need uh, some ideas from the fans of what you guys would like to hear as well because it's a lot of time in the offseason. There's a lot of fun stuff we are going to talk about, including some time down the stretch when I get a chance to talk with uh, – Mitch Darlington on a variety of different topics uh, overall as well. But for now, that's going to do it for the Apple Sox podcast. If you're curious about any more information on the Apple Sox players who made the former Apple Sox players who made their major league debuts last week, those being of course Michael Tolia and Ryan Kreidler, please visit applesox.com. We've got stories on each of them detailing a little bit more of what I talked about earlier in the podcast. I'm Joel Norman. Please subscribe to the Bonanche Apple Sox podcast if you do not already on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to get notifications about the latest episodes. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Apple Sox podcast.